Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, we're having a special episode. We're taking a break from our hermeneutics series uh, to continue something that still fits with our theme of what we have been doing all along, and that is reform, re- introducing reformed theology and reformed thought to people who are who are new at that. And we, you know, we do that for thirty minutes a week on this episode. But there, uh, there are folks who do that, t- who end up find themselves doing that twenty four seven, and that is church planters. And so, we're really excited to introduce a podcast to our folks, uh, Five Points Church Planting Podcast. We've got uh, Dr. Hunter Brewer and uh, John Saint Martin. Uh, joining us today to talk about the podcast and talk a little bit about church planting. Uh, Hunter is uh, planting in Collierville, Tennessee, Trinity Church in Collierville, Tennessee. He's the former director of the Mid-South Church Planting Network, and he and his wife Vicki have two children. And John St. Martin is the pastor and church planner at Resurrection Church in Fargo, North Dakota, and he and his wife have three children. So uh, guys, thanks for joining us today. Hey, glad to be here. It's good to be here. John, why plant a church in Fargo, North Dakota? Doesn't everybody want to live in Fargo, North Dakota? I, I, I don't understand why that's a question. Uh, <laughs> no, so uh, I grew up in, in the suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is about three hours from Fargo. And so um, when we were looking for a call, we felt called to church planting, but our presbytery includes North Dakota, and it was the only state Uh, that didn't have a PCA church and for us to be able to come back to our home presbytery to, you know, minister among people that have similar backgrounds and cultural kind of values that we grew up with um, made a lot of sense. And uh, so the, you know, we kind of walked through different doors, discerned some different places. Uh, At the end of the day, I was the only one that ever applied (laughs) to plant a church in Fargo. So uh, I'm not sure exactly the, the, the spiritual answer or the pragmatic answer, but um, the Lord called us back really to home. We feel like we're back in our home area and uh, glad to be here. When did you plant the church? Uh, We started in 2018. So we've been here just a little over two years this summer. So no, I was going to say I, I had the pleasure of meeting John at our Presbyterian's, uh, the PCA's General Assembly year before last, when he had the coolest uh, <laughs> networking event. Uh, he sent an email out to every Presbyterian minister and t- t- ruling elder, I guess, everybody going to the General Assembly, saying, "Come to a whiskey tasting." Yes, I was at that event. Yeah, of course you were. I mean, who wasn't at that event? Yeah. So genius idea. He knows how to, he knows how to gather Presbyterians where two or three Presbyterians are. There will be a fifth as the saying goes. Mm. Amen. Amen. Our our distilling theology brothers would be proud. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, uh, Hunter, uh, tell us a little bit about your work in Collierville. So we've been here a year and Collierville is a suburb of Memphis 
and we are trying to launch the church, if you will. We meet on Sunday evenings with a core group of people. And um, an interesting fact that we've mentioned it on our podcast, um, and this is highly unusual, there is a family in John's core group in Fargo that helped me plant my first church in Madison, Mississippi, a suburb of Jackson. So that's a little bit different, I guess, a trivia uh, type thing. But uh, that's awesome. I think it's interesting. So, so right. So we're Trinity Church PCA in Carterville, Tennessee. Things are going well, and excited to be here. Wow. But, but yeah, the person, the PCA is a is a, and this is part of why you do PCA church planting. Is the PCA still, although it's been around for going on forty eight years, is still a small world. That's right. Yep. Very much so, so. Hunter, how many churches have you planted? So this is my second church. Um, it's not planted yet, but Lord willing, it will be. So this is my second one. I started a church in a suburb of Jackson, Mississippi called Madison Heights, and I was the senior pastor there for almost nine years. Uh, so I'll ask the, the loaded question that I'm sure you get all the time being in the South. Um, Man, we've got churches. There's 200 churches in Dyer County alone. Why plant another church in the South? What did, I'm sure there's hundreds of churches in the, in the greater Memphis area and in, in Collierville. Why, why plant another church there? That's right. Well, Gabe, the easy answer is um, we figured it out and nobody else has, and, and, and we're going to turn the city upside down for Christ. Um, that is a joke. <laughs> that is 100% a joke. Um, a few things. Number one, I think I've been told it's a possibility after the numbers come out for the new census that Carterville will be the largest city in the state of Tennessee without a PCA church. If, um, you know, before we came here to plant. Um, so I think from a denominational spec perspective, if you have a city it's the largest city in your state and there's no presence of your denomination there that that's something that you would want to consider. So, so that's, that's number one. Number two, some research has shown that Collierville is actually underchurched based on the statistics. And, and part of that has to do, um, Gage, you grew up in the Memphis area. You understand this. Collierville has boomed. It is a fast growing suburb. So, and on some level, it's under church. There's not enough churches for the number of people that have moved here um, from all over, uh, the, really, the United States and the world because of this is the home of FedEx for that many people don't realize that. And, and, then, and, number, then, and number three, very simply, uh, even in the South, even in the Bible Belt, the statistics show, um, and in my former role as the coordinator for the Mid-South Church Funding Network, I had to study demographics far more than I wanted to. The numbers show that 70%, conservatively speaking, of the population is not in church. Yeah, that's and not so, surprising. And so church plants are effective means to reach people who are unchurched and de-churched. So when you have... 70% of your population, then, then you need to be multiplying churches. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I've heard one of the, the statistics out there is that as we look at, as we look at who has who, people coming to Christ, what we, what we see over and over again is that one of the means that God is choosing to use 
to grow the church, to grow Christians is church plants is that, is that church plants have a, have a, a oftentimes a better success at, at, at reaching unchurched people than established churches. Have you guys found that to be the case? Yeah, I think that's one of the, you know, if you want to just talk like strategically uh, where to spend our resources and our energy uh, church planting, you hear stories of, you know, a church in town has grown, it's, it's become established, and then they plant a church on the other side of the town, and, and maybe they send some people with, but ultimately the mother church that sent that, that church out regains its membership, and the new church also gains, it, there's not a, it's not like they just cut themselves in half and now they have two locations, but that uh, the means of church multiplication, really, I think the impetus for that is that new churches are, are continually engaging with kind of the current moment um, reaching the people now, having a very outward focused, uh, how do I reach, you know, this particular people or this neighborhood? And so it really kind of has a mission forward mindset where you're engaging with people that the established churches in the neighborhood, for whatever reason, are no, no longer able to or aren't in the same way, or maybe they're reaching a different demographic within the same neighborhood. Um, and so church plants are kind of that, you know, that startup mentality of, of how do we how do we move forward in a new area to reach new people that aren't currently being reached? The story is as old as time of churches who, who are established. They have maybe have an older congregation and yet they want a younger congregation. And so they just change the way they do everything rather than planting. And they, they run off, they run off and displace a number of old folks. We had a, we had a, a, a situation where, um, in a previous time, there was some changes happening at our church where some some moves towards being contemporary. And, and I had a, a dear uh, saint in our church lady say, why don't you pastor those people God has given you and not those who God has not yet given you, right? Those who, you, you know, so there's a there's a tendency of churches to, a, existing established churches to, to pick a demographic profile that they want to attract and just change everything that they're doing and displace a number of dear saints. And so we've, right. We've been um, uh, so. I think I think that's one of the one of the great things about church planning, and I, I appreciate what you say, John, about churches when they do send off a, a group to plant. They actually it actually has a net increase for for the sending church as well, because I think pastor of a particularized church, I think we tend to think, well, we can't do that because we would cannibalize ourselves, right? We would we would we would we would cut off too many appendages, and we wouldn't be we wouldn't be able to function. So we would we'd basically kill ourselves to you know be like giving away both kidneys. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad to know, and that's a that's a word that pastors of established churches need to hear. Yes, yeah, Scott, I think there's. I think it's important as we have this discussion about church planning that on some level you define church planning. Um, one of the things that I've learned in the deep South, the Bible belt is that my understanding of what a church plant is, is often not the understanding or perspective that other people have um, Gage, Again, you grew up in this area. You've, you probably saw it, but a lot of people in our neck of the woods to use a great Southern expression they understand church planning as a large church sends out a large group of people and they just vacuum other believers from other churches because they're doing a more exciting version of worship right. than the previous church that these saints went to. And as I tell people I'm planting a church, that that's usually the perspective that I get it's fear. Oh, you're going to take people from my church or you're going to take people from churches right. 
in other communities. I think in terms of a definition, there's a major league and minor league. The major league is a biblical church planting is, is building a church focused on those who are unchurched and de-churched and semi-churched, if you will, for the glory of God and to make Jesus known. That, that would be my, um, that would be the major league definition. The minor league definition is, and John and I talked about this not too long ago, that sometimes there are people who are reformed or who are in your particular denomination, and there needs to be a church for them in a particular area and community, and there mm-hmm. is not. And so you plant yeah. that church. So the major league focus is evangelism and the Great Commission. The minor league focus is um, tribal, if you will. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, that's absolutely true for um, Presbyterian churches and PCA churches, even Reformed churches, uh, if we want to use that broader umbrella. Uh, in the South, um, despite the fact, like Scott said, that we've, we've been here for 40 plus years as a, as a denomination, I mean, you, you look at Arkansas, where, where, where I, I grew up and came from, I mean, there's 12 PCA churches in the entire state. Right. To put that in perspective, there's more than 12 churches in the greater Atlanta area. Um, <laughs> and there's 12 in the entire state. Four are a part of um, another presbytery. So there's only eight in our presbytery in the entire state. Tennessee is, is uh, in, a, in a similar situation. Uh, there's a few more churches, I think, in Tennessee than, than there are in Arkansas. But still, it's, it's spread out to, to such a degree that... Um, the, if you're new to Reformed theology, chances are you've got to go um, to your local non-denom or, or Southern Baptist church and, and hope for the best as, as far as what's being taught from the full pulpit on a Sunday. We we recently talked to a, a, a brother in Texarkana. We were down there. Um, the the school was shutting down and we were, we were getting their free books. Um, but um, we had talked to him. He was a part of uh, a Presbyterian church that, that had, uh, looked like it was dissolving and he was going to other churches just kind of trying to put it together. Uh, not not to say that our, our Baptist brothers and non-denom can't preach the gospel and don't preach the gospel. I mean, there are plenty of, of solid churches there. But if you are um, convicted of Reformed theology and you hold to confessional uh, beliefs and uh, to paedo baptism and that you have certain understandings of what's happening in the sacraments and you hold to a covenant theology uh, perspective of, of how you read the Bible, you're going to start to kind of butt heads uh, with <laughs> the church you're going to. And it, at some point it, it all become, becomes a crisis of conscience. So we need more churches um, for our brothers and sisters who are coming to the reformed faith um, and feel like they don't have a home. Let me, yeah, I, I can speak just to our own context. Uh, we've been supported and encouraged by so many uh, local churches here. There's a couple Acts 29 churches. There's a confessional Reformed Baptist church. Uh, they're excited that we came to plant a church uh, because they know we agree on, I mean, really the core center of, of the gospel. Uh, and they know our differences and they probably have people in their church that they <laughs> are more than happy to say, Hey, there's the PCA church uh, you've been waiting for or whatever that looks like. And we, we don't have to fight over um, maybe our particular issues, but we can kind of work together and know that 
you know, somebody comes to our church expecting, uh, you know, you talked about style. If somebody comes to our church and they're expecting a more contemporary style and it's not there, uh, or to be a Baptist church or whatever it is, um, right? We have a list of three, four, or five churches in town that we have these great relationships with where we can care for people well and send them to the place where uh, they might be able to use their gifts most. Being in the Bible Belt, being a Southerner, you're introduced, you're, you are, even as you are meeting unchurched people in the South, you're going to find that they've got some some theological understandings that are primarily uh, Baptist, Baptistic or charismatic or uh, broadly evangelical. As you are meeting some folks and connecting with them and inviting them to come and be a part of this church that you're planting, and they begin to encounter a, maybe a liturgy, a call to worship, and a corporate confession of sin, and uh, maybe maybe the, the Lord's Supper practice with greater frequency, or wine in communion, or baptizing babies, and the list goes on and on and on. You get some pushback. What have been some ways in th- that have been helpful for you? And, and I don't have to wonder if this has happened to you, because if you're a Presbyterian minister in the South, you deal with this day in and day out. So uh, and and maybe in, in North Dakota as well. So talk a little bit about how you have threaded the needle of helping walk folks along and understand uh, Reformed worship. Sure. You know, one of the luxuries of being a church planner is you get to craft and mold things in such a way that um, you can you can see, you, you understand where you want to go with what you're doing and, and you can move in that direction. A, a pastor of an institutional church or an established church, they're often stepping into years of tradition in terms of how things are done, how the church is operated, how the worship service unfolds. And so, so one of the luxuries of being a church planner is that you begin to think about how you do everything in terms of the unchurched, the, the, the de-churched, and for those who have they just don't have a deep understanding of what is the reformed tradition. And so just to give you an example, um, when we would do our baptism services for children in our worship service, and this was at my first church plant, we haven't reached that point in my second, I would go to great detail to explain infant baptism as if they have never heard or seen it before. And as I visited other PCA churches, particularly when I led the network, I was visiting churches every weekend. Often churches just take for granted that everybody understands what is happening and why we do this. Um, And that's not the case in church planning. You have to explain those things. One of the other luxuries of starting a church in terms of crafting the worship service is every single thing that we did we did not make the assumption that everyone just knew why we were doing what we were doing. Um, And so here's an example. Um, My wife grew up Southern Baptist and we went to a a PCA church when we were dating and they had um, assurance of pardon. And she looked at me and she goes, what is assurance of pardon? And I said, well, it's a the prayer. phenomenal podcast. Uh, yeah, that, hey, that's podcast right. I didn't think about that. Um, yeah, that's okay. And she said, what is assurance of pardon? I said, well, we're asking the Lord because he is good and faithful and he's our covenant God and that we're asking him to forgive our sins based on Christ's work on the cross. And that assurance of forgiveness comes to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And she goes, isn't there an easier way to say that? <laughs> and, and so in crafting that worship service, yeah, it was wonderful to think through why do we do what we do? How do we explain this to someone who has never darkened the doors of a reformed church? And so that was, you know, that was great. So in, in, in the first church plant that I led, the, the net result of that is the thing that I heard most often is you use the Bible a lot. Not a lot of complaints, but <laughs> you use the Bible a lot. And as I would meet with them for lunch and as I would meet with them for breakfast, what they were saying is you've done a good job of making, making this all make sense to me. And thus the Bible is starting to make sense to me. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I think that's, that's the great bridge. You know, we're, we're at predominantly Lutheran. If you're not historically Lutheran, you've probably joined a mega church or a charismatic church. Um, and so with all of that background, uh, the one bridge to anybody is that we believe the Bible is true. Uh, right. I mean, there's, there's a whole nother camp of people that don't believe that of course, but when you come to our church, people who are unfamiliar with our theology or our worship, uh, I, I always start with the Bible, right? So right now we're doing a class, uh, understanding, uh, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, uh, and you guys are doing a hermeneutics series right now. It's it's essentially the same class. How do we, how should we understand these passages? How do you look at a random passage of scripture and understand it? Um, not mm -hmm. out of context. Not uh, how do I read myself into here? But what did this mean? Why does it matter? Uh, and just helping people be able to do that for themselves, I think, does so much of the work. You know, I don't need to give them all of the reformed language in a big pile of books, although I probably will eventually. But if they can begin to understand how to under, how to interpret and read the Bible well, most of these kind of questions and issues will, will be able to surface up and we can deal with them in a really uh, open way. Um, you know, and as we talk about our worship service, why do we include an assurance of pardon? Or why do we include a confession of sin? Why do we, you know, the Bible commands us to do certain things. And so we want to include certain things in our worship service as a pattern and a rhythm and things we see in scripture that God commands us to do. And that's a really helpful frame to, to give people coming into our church who maybe don't have uh, any formed understanding of, of what worship should look like, except for this is what I've experienced or, or that the Bible's important, but I don't really understand much of the old Testament. I just, you know, read the Bible devotionally in a, you know, kind of life verse type way. And so uh, just starting with the Bible, teaching people, showing people, uh, guiding people through it so that they can do it for themselves. That's kind of been my, my starting point with people. I think it's, um, I think one of the things I've learned, and I guess this comes with time and age and experience is that it's okay to tell people that we'll get to that later. Um, when they have these deep, profound questions, when they're confused about things, um, you would not take an infant to Outback. Um, you just wouldn't. You, you get a formula. And so I think that earlier on in my ministry, I wanted, to, I wanted them to be brought up to speed immediately. You need to read this. You need to listen to this. You need to understand this. And now I realize it's just a journey in terms of better understanding 
the Reformed tradition and all its consequences. But but I'll say, John, you could chime in on this. In in terms of unchurched and dechurched people, um, the the ones that were coming to Madison Heights and the ones that I have ministered to and that I've developed relationships with, they're they're coming to church and it's typically not over theology. It's they're hurting, something is missing. Um, life is not making sense. They've had children and they're not in church. Um, you know, is there a God? Um, does my life have meaning and purpose? They're not really drilling down on, in my experience, you know, the five points of Calvinism. All of that comes later. Uh, the ones that have those type questions, in my experience, they have been in other churches and they're awakening to what Reformed theology is. Yeah, I, I have. I, without a doubt, I have found. I have found um, found it easier just to win people with the beauty of the gospel and not win people to reformed theology. There are so many churches who their new member process is really, really long. It's eight weeks, and there's an enormous amount to study. We 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 pared that down to we have a uh, at Hope Church we have a book called New to Hope that's about sixteen pages that walks through the Apostles' Creed, what it means, what each of those clauses in the creed means, uh, a little bit about baptism, a little bit about the Lord's Supper, a little bit about how we're how we're governed, and then beyond that, oh, we spend the time talking about what it means to say yes to our five membership questions. Because at the end of the day, that's what that's what we're asking folks to. Hey, uh, if you if you end up joining, you're going to come forward and and you're going to you're going to be asked these five questions in front of everybody. So we really want to spend time uh, talking about what it means to say yes to this because there's so much beautiful, simple theology in the PCA's five membership questions, and I have found so much helpfulness. I'm not asking you to invite John Calvin into your heart. I'm not inviting you to. Uh, uh, I'm. I'm not inviting you to to memorize the Book of Church Order. We just want to. You know, we we love Jesus and we love you, and we want to. We want to do those things together, and uh, that has been super helpful uh, in introducing people in this. It's not. It's not throwing them into the deep end of the pool. So you guys, uh, we mentioned this at the beginning of the, the episode. You have started your own podcast. Uh, five points planting podcast. So talk a little bit about that. And if, if I'm not a church planner, which Scott and I are not, um, is, is this for me? Is it just for, (laughs) is it just for, (laughs) is it just for planters or talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we wanted to create a platform for specifically reformed and, 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 or Presbyterian church planting uh, to kind of have some resourcing that's more specific. If you go out and you buy a book on church planting, it's probably going to be from somebody like Ed Stetzer, or it's going to be Christianity Today's book, and it's going to be very evangelical and broad. And uh, and then you have to interpret that into our own kind of world because mm-hmm. uh, basically the church church growth model isn't isn't quite what we're trying to do. And so we wanted to have a very uh, I guess it's kind of a niche conversation, but we don't want it to be just PCA. So, you know, we're including, you know, your gospel coalition folks and, and the you know, X29 people in our conversation, at least as we talk, of course, we're both in the PCA, but the hope is that we can encourage um, seminary students to consider church planting, to maybe get a better understanding of what that looks like. Uh, an assistant pastor, a senior pastor, somebody who maybe is considering a new call, um, and of course, you know, if you are a church and you want to help 
support church planting. Uh, hopefully this gives you, uh, um, you know, some, some information to run with. We, we just interviewed a senior pastor of a church that that's what they do. And so what's the benefit of a, an established church being involved in church planting or how can we even be involved or even a member of a church listening in can say, you know, if they're part of a church plant, oh, oh, I can understand how I can be more helpful or, or what the mission is of a church planter, right? We want to be able to hit kind of different audiences with the goal of just encouraging more involvement and awareness about church planting. I would awesome. say, I would add, um, my first experience in ministry was a revitalization effort. And then my first role after seminary was an assistant pastor in an established church. And I took a church planning class in seminary and RTS or from theological seminary. And one of the things I learned from the prior revitalization work and then the uh, assistant minister role was how profoundly helpful some of the principles of church planting um, can be in an established institutionalized church. Look, if you're a pastor of a church and you're kingdom minded, you want your church to grow. Um, you want to see people come to faith. You want to see new families. You want to you want all of that to happen and to take place. And church planners, there's a lot of things we are not good at. Um, there are a lot of things that um, we could stand for improvement. But I think that one of the things that we excel at is how do you grow a church? And so I would say for people who are in church, pastors of established and institutionalized church, one of the benefits of listening to a church planning podcast is a better understanding of how to grow your church. Um, and I would say also learning new things. Um, church plants are great at embracing new things. I would hope that they are biblical and wise. Um, and so how do you grow the church? What, what is something new that I could learn in terms of pastoral ministry and, and, and growing my church the right way? Amen. Yeah. And church Amen. planters by nature are, are collaborative. So we have a, a Facebook group for PCA church planters and it's just a bunch of church planters bouncing ideas off, sharing what they've done. We have another one called growing reform church planters where we want to connect potential planters with current planters or, or people that planted in the past and, uh, and I think that collaborative conversation, like Hunter said, is helpful for anybody that's in ministry or even just excited about the mission of the church. And so listening in, of course, it has a church planting slant to it, but it's going to be hopefully a helpful conversation for anybody that's, uh, that's hoping to see the kingdom come and grow of the church. Yeah. So uh, go ahead, Scott. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, uh, we're going to put a link to the, your podcast in the show notes, uh, but it's called the, it's called five points church planting. That's, that's the number five. Is that right? In the, uh, if I'm, if someone's yep. typing it in iTunes, so we will put a, we will put a link to that in the description. And one of the reasons I so wanted to have you guys on is because I wanted, uh, uh, Gage and I have both been enjoying your podcast and we wanted other folks to enjoy it. And Gage and I are not church planners. And so, uh, and we want folks to know this is not just inside baseball. This is not just a podcast for folks who are planting churches, but it's for anybody who has an interest in seeing the kingdom of God grow as Hunter said. And, um, and so we just wanted to, we just wanted to commend it to our listeners to check it out uh, so that they can 
not only learn more about how to how to grow the church, but they, so they know how they can better be praying for church planters that they know mm-hmm. as they hear as they hear some of those struggles. So, we really appreciate you guys uh, taking some time to be with us today. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to be here. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, and uh, um, uh, Gage, uh, tell folks a little bit more about how they can uh, find out about about uh, our podcast and connect with us, and and about John and Hunter's podcast. So, if you want to connect with Assurance of Pardon, we, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you can visit our website at assuranceofpardon.com and shoot us an email at contact at assuranceofpardon.com. We always love to hear from. Um, our listeners, we, we had a guy last week message us about wanted to know what hermeneutical style we use listening to the, to the episodes. He, he had some, some questions there. And, and then did you, Scott did you answer Scott's, him? We, the, the correct one. We have the correct. Just kidding. No, I wanted him to come back. So I actually answered his question, but okay. uh, so I really appreciated that, that dialogue for sure. Um, and then also um, we, we've had several people email us each week, just, questions and and how much they've enjoyed the episode so we always love to hear from people so hit us up either on social media or email or through through the website and john and hunter uh where can people connect with you guys yeah so we're on facebook and twitter the handle for both is uh, at five points planting the number five points planting um and we do have a website as well, it's, it's, uh, but it's through Libsyn. But the best way, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever way you find a, find a podcast, you can find us there. Our email is fivepointsplanting at gmail.com. And I'm, I'm a lot older than John, so the Pony Express delivers a, um, a copy of the podcast to me each on, week. On 8-track. On 8-track. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Reel to reel. You have to have to try yeah. to set it up. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much. Um, and as always, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless. Mm-hmm.